Are you ready? Born ready. Let's do this. We've got a really exciting lineup for you kiddies, aside from some really cool stuff like a talking Elmo and other such exciting toys. We decided we're going to release our G.I. Joe Retaliation movie line, yeah, to go with the really cool blockbuster movie, yeah. Except this time we're going to try something new. We're going to make them suck, yeah. The first thing we're going to do is release a Storm Shadow, yes. And he's going to be amazing, he's going to be the same sculpt, but with different paint apps, in the same wave. It'll be amazing. People will buy it twice. Then we'll release another Storm Shadow that looks like the same Storm Shadow from the first G.I. Joe movie. This time we'll paint gray triangles on him. And then we'll give him a stupid backpack. It'll be amazing. And if you think this is cool, we'll give every fucking one of them a backpack that allows you to shoot a grappling hook. It'll be, wait for it, amazing. <laughs> and if that fun hasn't stopped yet... We'll have four versions of Roadblock that are all the same, except this one's legs bend properly, so that we punish you three times before you get a good one. <laughs> three times. And just to keep the status quo, we'll give this one eyeballs that look into his forehead, <laughs> so you have to buy the other ones. And the fun doesn't stop there, kiddies. We'll release the worst Duke figure ever, and then we'll put Flint's head on him and call him Flint. <laughs> We'll give him cool guns, but the shittest body ever. And my favorite, the killer firefly street luge. Yes, you too can have a street luge with glowing handles. It's amazing. <laughs> On top of having a firefly with the worst hands in G.I. Joe history. <laughs> and he doesn't work with his play feature. He can't even hold these guns. I think we've nailed it. This is the future of G.I. Joe toys. We're going to make crap. Yes, and on to G.I. Joburg. Whew! I wish we could release that in vlog formats, because uh, <laughs> you guys really needed to see Paul uh, have that little rant there. Are you okay? You're going to be all right? I'm okay. Whew! Whew! Well, Ooh, need, need we have any more introduction to this episode 21 of G.I. Joburg, which is going to be dealing with uh, the film and its associated toys, but mainly the film, and our responses to it, and our feelings, and... After having considered it for a little while, perhaps a bit more of a review than episode 20. Guys, as usual, uh, we haven't had a chance to do this. We actually have some new toys. Yeah, and it's been a long, long time since the last episode record, so I think we've all got something new to talk about. Rob, let's start with you, because you normally never have anything cool and new to talk about. Aww. Alright, well, <laughs> not, not that I have cool, but... Yeah, my family went away on holiday, and I tasked my mom with finding me the jerk. And I pulled her, hopefully. Um, so, on the last days in London, she decided to do everywhere. She was her own family there. And she could not find a single jerk. So she ended up in the Forbidden Planet. And the last bit of hat was, uh, yeah, probably the worst area you could possibly get, which is this awful uh, roadblock with his molded hand that allows him to gigantic, awful launcher. I love that. And, ah, uh, oh, yeah. And terrible condition and, uh, awful. Thank you so much for being here. But, I mean, I still appreciate the initial to all that effort. I mean, they kind of skipped going to a couple of sites of London to get into it. So, uh, I appreciate that you did that. It does, uh, speak to the fact that there's not a very great deal of distribution on the G.I. Joe Retaliation figures. They have not arrived at domestic Toys R Us branches here in South Africa, which is a, a stark departure from Rise of Cobra, which we at least got the first wave, for the most part. I mean, there were new G.I. Joe toys to collect, and I went to check his hypermarket and picked up a few, you know. I mean, 
maybe it's the changing of audiences or the way of the changing of the type of film that the second film is, I think. Or that maybe may there were a lot of peg warming happening with the rise of Cobra figurines. So uh, distributors in the United Kingdom, Europe, and the Far East, in fact, uh, probably were a little bit gun-shy about dropping the hammer on the, on ordering those toys. Jeez, talk about mixed metaphors. <laughs> the bottom line is, I do not see many Rise of Cobra figures at the sort of mass retailers like Toys R Us, either in Singapore or in London. So it looks like my theory might be true. Did you get anything else, yeah. Rob? Um, oh, I, I just got just one of yeah, go to special missions. Original special missions. The uh, pay paperback that issue zero uh, fifty seven. That's pretty awesome. I haven't read a couple of these uh, issues, so I was quite happy to have that. Really have awesome. It That's really awesome. That's like super yeah, awesome. because also you can enjoy it without. Not that I suppose the other comics really had lots of um, continuity, but they're cool one shot issues. Go and like, read it. Like cool. And to my mind, some of Larry Homer's real shining moments. I think within the one-shots, he was able to um, show off, firstly, his real-world military acumen, you know, exactly how much research he did to write for G.I. Joe. And also, he wasn't married to the interwoven plot lines between, I don't know, Cobra Commander and Destro and the Baroness and Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes and Scarlet, you know, all these various threads that plagued the main series were absent in special missions, and he could show off specialized Joes going about their very specialized roles in special missions. <laughs> Which I am a firm favorite of, to be honest. I, I enjoy giving love to individual characters, highlighting them, if you will. And special missions did exactly that. Yeah, and as it says in the uh, introduction to the book, it also freed Lama, Larry, Larry Harper, <laughs> from um, having the features put in vehicles and stuff. To play the You know, he didn't have to make anybody too happy with licensing and stuff. I'm yeah, sure. he, he did a whole story about Nazis. <laughs> it's a goodie, that one, by the way. Yeah, but that's a great purchase, actually. The, the special mission stuff is great. Um, mm -hmm. Definitely a, a fave of mine. Um, definitely, seriously, a fave of Stevens. I mean. Yeah, I remember yeah. the guys on G.I. Joe Review. The one criticism they have of special missions is it can get a bit wordy at times. But I find when it's wordy, it's very technical, and I really enjoy the amount of, of technical detail that goes into writing a, a special mission issue. If you haven't gathered by now, listeners, I take G.I. Joe very seriously. And the more serious it can be, the less like a Saturday morning cartoon it can be, the more I love it. The more it embraces real-world military terminology and concepts, the more engrossing it is to me. So I would say special missions, by being wordy, by being so well-exposed, is definitely way up there as, as my favorite G.I. Joe reads of all. And what's interesting to note is it's not terribly wordy in terms of its uh, action and pacing. You don't have this kind of like cunning repartee between adversaries as they fight one another. That's all done rather through the arts. And it's got a very filmic style and, uh, and approach to, to the violence and the composition of the storytelling, which is awesome. And uh, really, I think um, Mr. Harmer's pact with the devil started running out a little bit uh, toward the end of his 155 original issue run. Which I'm hacking through at the moment. <laughs> in trade paperback form. It gets really, really weak, man. It's crazy, because you've got Homer's, like, really dynamic ideas coming through, but they're soiled by very cheesy dialogue and the unfortunate need to have to put in every single new toy in the pages. Perhaps it was a, a plague of the 90s, but to just have splash pages of the most absurd action with bullets kind of, like, just whizzing right past characters' heads. I don't know, man. By the time the eco-warriors, the DEF, and the ninja force arrived on the scene, like, it was just all-out action madness. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't earned. It wasn't special. It wasn't intelligent. Yeah, we didn't get to know characters. We just got to know situations. Oh, this is going to be a rant episode. Oh, show. Oh, show. But a little bird told me that you uh, received a dolly. Is that is that incorrect, Rob? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's good. Yeah, I got... Are you putting um, a little bird? I was in Durberg, I was by Paul, the, the Dolly Master. <laughs> or the Dolly Lama. <laughs> okay, you've just given yourself your new handle, Paul. You are the Dolly Lama. <laughs> oh, thank God. At least I'm not the Midnight Postman. That's what my dad calls me now. 
Right. The joke is, folks, that Paul checks the post box inevitably every night, close to midnight, one o'clock in the morning, just in case there's a collection slip for a parcel waiting for him at the post office. Yeah, but what the listeners don't know is that I only get home like late sometimes at eight, nine o'clock, and I don't go into the main entrance. Where don't the, try to explain it. Where, where the mailbox is. So I sometimes, and nobody else checks the mailbox, so that's why I check the mailbox late at night. <sighs> where to go, man? It's not funny anymore. Yeah, uh, do they still think I'm crazy. Yeah, it's probably... It's, no, it is still funny. It's weird. It's random. So are you enjoying your dolly, Robbie? Now that you've been converted yes. to 12 inches uh, of yeah, real American hero? The, well, I mean, he's a real American uh, villain. Ooh, Dark who Dark is it? It's Dark Hand. Pretty cool. He's a box right now, so I can't talk about Yeah, he's awesome. I like him a lot. I'm happy to have him. Who's next? Oh, God. Who is Okay. <laughs> so, listeners, just be warned. We really do love G.I. Joe on this show. We don't want to give you the impression that we don't like G.I. Joe. In fact, we love G.I. Joe so much that we are actually buying vintage figures and have recently finished the NES version of the first G.I. Joe game. And that inspired a new collecting fervor among Steve and I to try and get some of the, the figures from the first game. That being Gridiron, Duke, Blizzard, Snake Eyes, Hawk with the Jetpack, and I'm forgetting somebody, Rock and Roll. These are great toys, and that whole thing reminded us why we like G.I. Joe. Something that makes me very angry about G.I. Joe is my latest acquisition, the Wave 2 of the Retaliation series. I'm going to pretty much go from most shit to the best ones. So I'm going to start with Skin and Firefly, because I can't decide which is worse. Flint has got a great head sculpt and a removable beret, and he comes with two uh, cool guns. That's the only cool thing about Flint. Otherwise, he's Retaliation Duke's body, he's got single bend, no swivel legs, cage hands, and he's crap. Then there's Firefly, whose play feature doesn't even work. Some great paint detail on the actual figure himself. Great head sculpt. Both head sculpts, the exposed and unexposed head sculpts are great. Upper legs are great. He's great fodder for, for customizing. Also, single bend knees, no swivel feet. He's mostly crap. Then we'll get into Roadblock. This is probably the first version of the Roadblock figure that's really good. He's got the proper double bend in his knees. He's got great web gear. He looks very much like himself in the film. Maybe a bit brighter green than he did, but not too bad otherwise. He's got some weird weapon feature, which I actually figured out the other day. I understand why they released it now. It's a weapon system, which is quite cute. It's two knuckle dusters, which slot into gun-shaped things, and then he has a gun. Or you can slot knives into them, and then you can make him the ultimate ninja master, which is whatever. It's cute, and then you can put a pole in it to be the ultimate beating master. I don't know. Um, <laughs> if Duke's been naughty. Yeah, so Duke's been <laughs> The irony behind this figure is... Although... <laughs> Although they get many things right, the one thing they get wrong is this one's the one with the Arashikage tattoo on him, on his forearm, which is odd. He's got the worst painted face out of all of the roadblocks uh, variants, and I know, because I sadly have them. And he's also pretty cool in that you can put the knuckle dusters on his web gear, and you can pretty much keep all of the sort of blades and extra accessories on him, which is quite cool, actually. It's quite like a good thought from Hasbro. I thought that wasn't too bad. He just can't fit in any vehicle, I don't think. I haven't tried, and I don't know. They are the most obscenely oversized holsters I have ever seen. They are just disgusting. I don't know. I don't know if they're meant to hold skis. It comes with an M60, but it's not really an M60. It's a dumb gun. He's got bad hands. He can hold the big blocks of cheese guns well, but he can't hold the M60 too well, so that's a bit of a downer on him. But at least he's got swivel wrists on these hands, and then the, the number one, Whoosh, the first best... You will! Whoosh, play karaoke machine! Whoosh, with my daughters! <laughs> Damn right, Duke! <laughs> and then, just to add to that roadblock, he isn't too crap. The guns are inspired by a role-playing kid's toy of a similar nature. Nerf. Um, yeah, it's like a Nerfish type. No, no, no. no. Actually, for the Retaliation line, they released a whole bunch of like, plastic swords and crap oh, yeah. um, that you might want to buy for your kids or just you know give them cardboard tubes and get them to use their imagination. But basically, it's a big block of cheese, just like Roadblock, that you can slot a plastic knife into and slot a sponge knife into and shoot sponge missiles, whatever. <laughs> But the cream of the crop in this Wave 2 line is definitely the Snake Eyes. He's the movie replica, done to look up like the movie version. He's pretty cool. Some weird things that they've done with him. His sword holder is odd because it's a two-part sword holder, so you can either have what looks like a backpack to carry a sword in, or you can just put the sword straight on his back. Baffling. It's baffling. It, it makes no sense to me. Um, I'm not sure what they were trying to evoke with, with that maneuver. And the other thing is, he's got a 
damn cool machine gun. He's got a holster for his knife on his web gear or on his belt. He's got a nice little sidearm. No major web gear. It's pretty much the movie version. He comes with two swords, so I figure it's in case you lose one because there isn't a place here to keep two swords. As far as snake eyes go, he hasn't got bad arms. The sculpt is great. The different material used for the paint to show off different textures is great. Definitely worth getting if you guys are contemplating him. A little bit loose on the joints, but I find that retaliation figures all have bad joints. They all seem to be very loose and very sloppy for the whole line. It also comes with an obscene grappling hook that you can give to somebody to kill themselves with. And um, on, a, on the note of the grappling hooks, the worst Storm Shadow ever comes with one of the better grappling hook accessories because it's not very in your face, it all folds up. It's actually a well-thought-out toy. So Hasbro, congratulations on perfecting the grappling hook, which will go into the drawer. But if I ever feel the need to repel Zipline and my Storm Shadow, I may actually just use that one. Yeah, otherwise I'm really looking forward to some of my classic toys that are coming my way. And you guys are going to love Steve's haul. Steve's got a great haul. If you guys, if you guys are Afrikaans, you might appreciate the, 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 the pun used. <laughs> Terrible. Oh, and I ordered an Eagle Hawk. Yes, Paul's Eagle Hawk is on pre-order. How about your two Eagle Hawks that you promised to buy, Rob? Did I say that? Yes, Rob. I'll buy two. 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 Sound drop. <laughs> I'm definitely going to get two. I'll get around to it. Don't worry. <laughs> Well, uh, with all this uh, retaliation goodness just clogging our toy shelves, not, uh, I have really come full circle and am feeling the O-Ring love in a big way. I guess it started with the desire to complete the NES video game team. So to that end, I already had rock and roll. Rob had that 1989 Snake Eyes. I wanted to get the Blizzard, the Duke, Captain Gridiron. Paul climbed in with uh, 1991's General Hawk. With the backpack. And while I was just putting the vintage waves into the universe, I went to an old comic book store, which had recently relocated, went inside, and the dealer said, hey, what can I help you with? And I said, G.I. Joe, toys. And he was like, well, you know what? There's this dusty old box in the back. Let's have a little look. Well, friends, there was a veritable treasure trove to be had there. I now have, for the first time in my life a 1983 his tank. Along with that, I got two Stinger 4x4 night attack jeep drivers from 1984, two Cobra officers, the swivel arm Cobra officers from 1983. I got version 1 of Dusty with his machine gun. Sadly, no backpack or bipod, but I can uh, easily make up for that short fall. I found an Asp and two Cobra Claws, which were the Action Force releases, if the stickers are anything to go by. And I got a whole lot of paraphernalia along with it. And a few parts that made my heart bleed a little bit. There were Stinger four-wheel drive missiles and Vamp Mark II doors. And Rattler armor portions and a bomb from a Rattler. So someone already scooped up some of the goodness. But uh, I was very happy to acquire the claws, the asp, the hiss tank, which is stunning. Absolutely stunning. It had one vital part missing, but Paul has managed to create a workaround. The part that uh, holds the gun turrets in place was absent, which is a troublesome part in any case. So I'm very happy that Paul has created one out of styrene and a composite and a putty. Po- yeah, an epoxy putty from Tamiya. It's the Tamiya, I, I can't recall the name right now, but it's, it's the Tamiya putty, but the, the, two, the two-stage type, the epoxy putty. Very, very cool stuff, actually. Great stuff. You can find it on, and this is my HLJ plugs. You can find it on HLJ. And it's, I think it's, uh, for American listeners, it's about $3. And for South African listeners, it's about 34 rand. More of it. Terrific. Yeah, he's had my his tank for about four weeks now, trying to complete that part. <laughs> Been having so much fun with the his tank. <laughs> putting that out there. Yeah, whatever. It sits on your shelf. Just finish it, damn it. <laughs> so I can take it home. And uh, a friend of mine gave me an obscene amount of the core figures, which, okay, they're not great, but it does give me a nostalgia kick is what I'm trying to say. I remember the core being sort of drug dealer type, I don't know, South American warlords that uh, Joe came up against when they weren't busy fighting Cobra. And yeah, the figures have great resonance with me. There are a lot of sculpts that I hadn't ever encountered before, which I now possess, and some pretty far out dudes. Like, I've got, I suppose, the core's answer to the Dreadnoughts and their wicked ripper tread uh, tricycles, <laughs> recliner bikes. 
Oh, those things are so badass. Uh, Best yeah. choppers ever. <laughs> Wicked. So yeah, I am all in to the vintage lab these days, which has me on eBay all the time. Uh, in fact, this very evening, I will hopefully be bidding on, and perhaps winning, just putting it out there, a 1985 set of Dreadnoughts. The original three. Wouldn't that just rock hard? Ripper, Buzzer, and Torch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, uh, Steve didn't get to mention that I have a Heat Viper coming my way as well. Gee, so we're just going to roll them off then. Okay, vintage toys that are on their way. 1989 Stalker. 1984 Ripcord. 1991 General Hawk. 1989 Heat Viper. 1985 Shipwreck. Toxo Viper. And Steve has received his Blizzard and Alpine. If you weren't paying attention. <laughs> and yeah. let me say, Blizzard is one badass mama bajamba. What a fucking amazing toy that is. Can't believe I passed them up on pegs. But then again, when we were children, we passed up so many of these shows. We weren't completionists back then. But had we known what we would be into at, you know, ages 28, 29, 30. Crazy. And now on to the main event. Tent, tent, tent. Well, we fired off a very quick episode dealing with our sort of initial thoughts on retaliation. Now, having given it a bit more reflection uh, and seeing how it fits in with its its predecessor and where it leaves our, I suppose, live-action movie aspirations for G.I. Joe, we decided to revisit the topic. I'm very interested to see what your opinions of this film are, gents, because mine is not a very positive one at all. I guess when it comes to G.I. Joe, I'm always expecting to be disappointed, but praying to be impressed. I'm always keeping the candle burning that maybe, just maybe, they'll get it right. Well, this movie was just a whole lot of wrong for me. Rise of Cobra was a crap movie with better toys. Even though the toys weren't that great, and that's saying something. And the toys sort of got better, but the movie still stayed crap. Retaliation is a better film with worse toys with the exceptions being the G.I. Joe Trooper and one or two of the Snake Eyes release and possibly Wave 3, which isn't even retaliation-related anyway. So, aside from that, I mean, that should say something about Rise of Cobra, at least. Um, I'm going to go with my first instinct. I really enjoyed the film for what it was. I thought uh, it was a great little action romp. It had very little direction, and it did spoil itself a, a few times. I also found that there's so much action that you don't actually deserve. Like, you don't earn it. You don't get to really get into any parts of the characters or, or the real plot. You just see explosions and exp- it's pretty much one explosion to the next explosion. I haven't got a problem with action. I love action films. I miss good action movies. I mean, we were watching Terminator 2 the other day and that's a great movie. And G.I. Joe, where it succeeds is in its action. Where it fails is that it's not really G.I. Joe. It's, it, it, it loses a lot of its identity, I find. Um, that's, that's definitely something that I find myself faced with every time somebody asks me what I thought of the film. And, and every time I think of the film... I can't think of too many great things to say about it, at least not instinctively. I have to really think about it. I have to really think, uh, okay, what did I really dig? Or I mean, I've had a few people tell me that Rise of Cobra was a better film. They enjoyed it more. And I've had some idiot say that the second one wasn't very G.I. Joe because it wasn't very G.I. Joe. And he far preferred the fir- first film. So he's dead now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't help myself. I just pushed him into traffic. Maybe his criticism was along the lines of, like, you had a G.I. Joe movie with no Duke. With no Destro, no Baroness, yeah. with no Scarlet. You know, what does that leave you with? In terms of a, a more layperson's grasp of what G.I. Joe is supposed to be. You know, Zartan didn't look like Zartan. I suppose you had the very G- canonic G.I. Joe elements being the Snake Eyes, Storm Shadow, True Killer reveal. That was actually cool. Some kind of a Rashikage storyline going on in there. That was great. I like that. Like, no offense to John Chu, and if you're listening to this John Chu, I'm sorry, dude. The thing is, he had the right idea in terms of coming up with a big bad plot, you know, with Cobra doing what they do. And he tried to sell a stronger military angle within the Joes, which I appreciated. I thought that was really cool. And he tried to throw in some of the characters, which are fan favorites, you know, the Lady Jays of this world, the Snake Eyes. He gave Snake Eyes a lot more face time, which was quite cool. You know, and he, he tried to introduce more villains to the Cobra fold, and that's great. But the thing is, John Chu is still a director who did those dance movies. Um, so don't hate I, on dance I, movies? I don't hate on them. I don't hate on them. But to be fair... And this is coming from the perspective of a dancer. Those films are great if you're a dancer. And if you like, into that. But they're not really good films. They're not, they're not great films. Agreed. And I think that's probably the most succinct my criticism of G.I. Joe could be. Is It's not a good film. Yeah. It's like, I think it deserves what the critics are giving it. I think 
I, I don't. I think fanboys can get angry, or whatever, all they want. But I think the critics are being quite fair. The film fails as a film. It works as an advert for like GI Joe, but it fails as a film. Oh well, an advert for toys that we'll never get. I mean, yeah, the slew of vehicles introduced in this uh, film will not see accurate plastic incarnations. We'll have evocations of those vehicles, but certainly nothing approaching that cool GI Joe dropship or the Cobra helicopter. Or those kick-ass his tanks. Or, I was thinking about it today, one of the more understated vehicles, but one that was in the first film and now, again, in retaliation, was the G.I. Joe's sort of armoured car. Yes. That personnel carrier. That thing is cool. It's beautiful. That thing that they load the nuclear weapons onto when they're busy <laughs> pilfering Pakistan. Oi, oi, oi. Okay, it's time to get into specifics here, guys. Rob, do you want to vent a more general opinion on your feeling from the film? It was definitely better than the first one. I mean, I think, at least from a fan point of view, it was much better. Like I said, it had a grasp of what was so cool. And, but yeah, still, it was just that overall, it wasn't a very good film. It was entertaining, it was good. But yeah, I had a silly It was okay, it wasn't amazing. It wasn't what I was hoping for when I went to the cinema. Sat down, the lights went down, squeezed up. So. Mm. Yeah, so. I mean, it didn't help that before the film started, they had trailers for, like, Olympus Has Fallen and, and other films which just had that sort of uh, the intrigue, the sort of more uh, Tom Clancy-esque intrigue to them that G.I. Joe actually has. It, it belongs in G.I. Joe. I, I don't know why directors are finding their source of inspiration in the cartoon when the cartoon is great and everything, but it's goofy to the max. Yeah, there are far more compelling ways of dealing with the subject matter of G.I. Joe than it seems mainstream directors are opting for. It really is best described as a Saturday morning cartoon plot. You've got this massive MacGuffin device. You've got the world's leaders basically at its mercy. You've got Cobra just being blown way out of proportion in a movie where if the focus was smaller, I would have enjoyed it far more. But instead you had this cliched story of Joe's on the run trying to correct the sins of their supposed commander-in-chief you know, it told a very cliched story that didn't grip me because it just seemed so far removed from anything that, that was good in Joe. You know, the strict adherence to, to military uh, tradition and, and intrigue and plots and equipment, it did at times feel like it was a dance movie. Uh, I'm referring specifically to the sort of gun montage that they decided to shoehorn in there where crazy old retired General Colton has a house stacked with weaponry. It was just obscene. It was just, like, obvious mass gratification, wish fulfillment garbage. And, of course, they sent it to some bitchin' rapture about, like, you know, I'm strapping on my gats or some shit like that. I mean, it just... It was insulting. It was just insulting. Which is a, a, a criticism that I have on a number of levels because I never like when popular music is kind of forced into a scene to kind of make it like a sort of music video performance. I can pull one positive point out of this and that's the original scoring for G.I. Joe Retaliation was good. It had some great themes but then you go throw it all away, all that credibility by putting some fucking rap song in. And that's no offense to rap music in general. I like rap. But it just, it, it was... It was fucking, I don't know, step up. Yeah, it was It was actually pretty lame in the sort of rap um, sphere of things. Um, a criticism that I loosely read, because I was trying not to re- check out any spoilers or anything before the, uh, before the film hit our shows, a lot of guys seem to complain about the RZA being Blindmaster. I think he's a fantastic actor. I thought he was great. He was fantastic. I love, I love him in Californication. His voice was a little bit like jarring the way he like spoke, but I can't blame him for the lines they gave him. But I mean, he was great. I was, I was actually quite chuffed. I was like, cool. He was cool. I'm actually looking forward to the toy of that if they don't fuck that up. Sorry. <laughs> Blind master. Yeah, look, the Storm Shadow Arashikage arc was tried and true. This is a plot piece that we've seen trotted out more than a few times. Your sword. Given to you by our beloved Iron Master. Do you deny that your envy and hatred drove you to shed the hard master's blood? It's impossible to feel so much hate. You stop feeling it at all. 
like a fish not knowing it's in water. But my path was chosen for me by my enemy, who framed me for killing the hard master. And my friends, Why defend yourself to man too blind to see? That is the heart master's blood. But that is not! They did a decent lip service. I've got no problem with Storm Shadow's portrayal. In fact, I think it was the strongest part of the film. Uh, Storm Shadow actually not being the aggressor, but being the, the tormented warrior who was driven into the arms of Cobra, not purely by his uncle's death, but by his former friends who accused him of the murder. Yeah. He had no choice. So there's some level of retribution and believable characterization there. But contrast that with just a really wonky set of protagonists. I mean, you've got this organization called G.I. Joe, which bears very little resemblance to the G.I. Joe established in Rise of Cobra. It has absolutely no leadership structure. You've got the intro sequence, which introduces Duke as the leader of G.I. Joe. Okay, no mention of Hawk, no mention of the fact that there is a, a sort of a, a general kind of calling the shots and liaising between the G.I. Joe unit and, I suppose, the commander-in-chief. It's almost as if the president is calling all the shots. G.I. Joe is his specialized task force. I mean, there's, there's sort of no real confidentiality operating there. You've got the president sitting in the White House. He's got some dirty work to do. He says, call in the G.I. Joes. And I just find that line kind of insulting. It's like, call in the G.I. Joes. These guys are our fucking poster boys. They're going to go out there and complete that top-secret mission, that incursion into Pakistan to steal their nuclear arms. <laughs> I mean, this is highly illegal black ops shit. And then he kind of exposes them on the news when it gets botched by saying, the G.I. Joe has failed us, you know, as if it's common knowledge to the entire domestic United States and the world, which is just bogus and not very cleverly thought through at all. Which will hopefully inspire them to make G.I. Joe a lot more of a secretive um, sort of operation in the third film. Well, it, it appears they have absolutely zero problem with complete retconning. So, yeah, we can have high hopes for G.I. Joe 3, and we can expect it to have zero content from, you know, carried over from G.I. Joe 2. Well, that's if the creators have anything to, to say about it. Sadly, producers see the fact that Dwayne Johnson did well for Retaliation and Cha-Ching, he'll be spearheading the next movie. It won't even be G.I. Joe. It'll be Dwayne Johnson. His Rogue Action Man. With his ninja friend. Yeah. It's like Tonto. The, the, the Rock and Snake Eyes. It's like, let's have a rock, rock and rock, Tonto. Rock and Snake Eyes movie. I mean, it's... <sighs> they're raping my childhood, guys. I don't mind if it was Roadblock. I thought he was actually pretty cool. He wasn't, like, too bad a character. Uh, the Rock is The Rock. He has quite a definitive style in, in the films that he's in. I um, can appreciate him being roadblock. the de facto roadblock from now and into a third film. Totally. Uh, same here. I just don't like the idea of The Rock being leader of the G.I. Joes. Or should I say roadblock being leader of the G.I. Joes. I just don't think it. I'm not saying everything in the film has to be a carbon copy of its uh, of its source material, but roadblock is rather jarring. It's like when they made Bumblebee cool. That was cool. That was brave. A lot of us Transformers fans were kind of like, okay. But you grew to like it. He ended up being a cool character, cool toy, whatever. I don't feel the roadblock in this film has done that for me. I'm like, yes, he's a great roadblock. He's a great roadblock. The third attempt is a great roadblock toy that stands nicely with my Joes. And he, he it's fun. But you know, I don't see him as the leader. I see him as what roadblock is. Heavy machine gunner and cook. Well, there are no other characters in the film that could be a leader, though. I mean, like Flint was basically a, a Duke copy. It wasn't even that. It was like an extra. Yeah. And then Lady J was basically like... Lady J actually... Well, she was also the brains of the operation. I mean, <laughs> she was the only one that, that kind of had all the answers. 
Yeah. And this is another huge problem that I have with the writing of this film. Extremely circumstantial guesswork going into <laughs> to, to try and feed the plot, to try and draw oh, connections uh, between Cobra and the President and Zartan. It's just, it's tenuous to say the least. And I, I'm sorry, I, I expected more. I really battle to appreciate the kind of enormous jumps of logic that you have to make in order to believe the Joe's mission. He scratches his ass with his right hand and never leaves the seat down. He can't be the real president. He's left-handed. <laughs> I found a piece of Zartan's hair on the president's jacket. <laughs> it must be Zartan. Longest ball hair ever. Yeah, because um, from what I can recall, I mean... Uh... <laughs> and the fact that Zartan is a rampant lecher, uncontrollable womanizer, it's like... This is a master of disguise, a guy who's impersonating the commander-in-chief of the United States of America, the highest office in the free world, you know, responsible for the largest weapons stockpile, most powerful army, and he's going to get fooled by some chick in a red dress. It baffles me, I'm sorry. I... No, it, it was. To drop his guard like that. Jeez, he must be really hard up. I've <laughs> never, I've never known Zartan. As a kind of a... Womanizer. Womanizer. Interesting. Maybe. Maybe maybe that's his weakness. Woman. Throw a woman at him. Throw Lady J at Let's stop Zartan. Quick, put me a naked bride. <laughs> well, you know, regardless of how they figured out that Zartan was the president, and then very flimsily hoped to prove that, and almost uh, assassinate him, they had Storm Shadow then corroborate... Uh, and prove to them, and sort of expose Cobra's plan, which is also quite fortunate. But then they <laughs> they enlist the aid of one very well-stocked Looney Tune general and his veteran buddies. I don't know if you guys remember, but he had, like, these old, like, retired military types. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just, it was laughable. And these guys sort of took on... Cobra Troopers and his tanks. <laughs> I mean, it was a very brief little cutaway, but I just sniggered the whole way through. Definitely a, a milestone in cinematic achievement. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it, it was a bit odd. It, it wasn't cool. In a weird, weird way, those guys kind of looked like... The one guy looked a bit like rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I suppose they had caps. The one guy looked like Gilligan. <laughs> in his sailor cap yeah no laughable another thing that's laughable and it's just I suppose once again like 80s action movie shorthand but like one button to start up the doomsday weapon and one button to blow the fuck out of it there wasn't even a code or anything I mean shit that was like it was like on a plate for them roadblock grabs the case he hits the red button Thank God. The entire thing just self-destructs. Every single one of those weapons just... And Cobra Commander struts off and he's kind of like, oh, that was a wasted weekend and sort of gets in his <laughs> helicopter. <and laughs> Which is a point that I wanted to make in our Movie Blitz episode, but it got lost somehow. The gremlins suck in and it didn't make the final cut. It's that Cobra Commander is so fucking innocuous. He looks cool, but did he add anything to the movie whatsoever? All we've been missing is our command. Good to have you back, boss. Cool, Matt. Someone took his time. Not easy to sneak out of that big white 11 bedroom, 35 and a half bath. Just don't forget who put you there. All the rock you crawled out from. Firefly. It's good to know we're not running low on crazy. Still all ten fingers. That's our former president. He's worth his weight in platinum. You know, they, uh, they call it a waterboard, but uh, I never get bored. <laughs> in 48 hours, Zeus will launch. Just one wrinkle. Three Joes somehow survived our little house clean. Drone pick up voice prints in the endless valley. Can I trust you with nothing? They'll serve up. When they do, I'll hunt the ground. 
He was a non-villain. He was a figurehead. He was nothing. There was nothing compelling about him. Like, if you want a good example of how to play arch-nemeses, look at the Dark Knight. If you want an example of how not to play arch-nemeses, look at G.I. Joe Retaliation. It was hopeless. I couldn't figure out who the arch-nemesis of the baddies was. I mean, who is, in fact, your key bad guy? Is it Zartan because he's the president? Is it Firefly because he seems to be doing all the moving and shaking and pays the ultimate price at the end by being blown up? I mean, the obvious answer is Cobra Commander. But if you look a little bit deeper, Cobra Commander did fuck all. He escaped from prison. He walked into a room of world leaders, said some menacing words, pressed a red button, and then when things went pear-shaped, he escaped again. That is how I sum up Cobra Commander's role in this film. Yeah, he pretty much just paid their salaries. Punched the clock. Yeah. Like, the whole thing when he's got the world leaders there in a little room, and these men, these men by themselves are the men who make a decision on nuclear weapons. Once again, massive action movie shorthand and very unsophisticated plot. It was just very silly. I mean, and then, you know, the obvious stab at the Koreans, which I, I thought was cute, but it's unnecessary. I figured North Korea for last. Hey! Gotta love the little guy. Joe, welcome to a nuclear-free world. So much dealing with the North Koreans was unnecessary. Yeah. The entire sort of pre-credit sequence, if you could call it that, though it's, it's insulting to even call it that because, like, pre-credit sequence to me evokes, like, a James Bond opening sequence. Mm. You know, before you have the theme tune play, you have this incredible action sequence that establishes Bond, it establishes perhaps a villain, and it establishes the conflict and resolves it all within five minutes. Well, what did we get with this one? The Joes kind of hunched over a fence. They went into North Korea. Using the most elaborate set of fence cutters ever made. <laughs> ever. <laughs> to secure some... Then be used to get to secure some hostage we never even knew the significance of. And then, what do they do? They hoist their flag on the North Korean's flagpole? Is this how the G.I. Joes operate? Are they a bunch of jokers? Just, I don't know. It's this sort of renegade group of, like, military hotshots. I don't know, man. It was comical. And not good comical. It was just insulting comical. I left that sequence wondering, was it a training exercise? Um, was it necessary at all? Yeah, no, it wasn't necessary. They Actually, that kind of pre-credit sequence, I think, for this film would have been necessary if they hadn't flooded the rest of the movie with action, action, action. This would have been a great way to go, boom, G.I. Joe's, explosions, da-da-da-da-da, find something interesting, and then cut through credit sequence, pull up characters, get to a middle section of the film, some plot, maybe kill a guy or two off, and then have a final battle, and then, you know, maybe some kind of tension at the end with <laughs> not... Uh, oh, there's the off button. <laughs> and then... <laughs> the satellites just had this fail safe where they're like oh shit if somebody switches it off we'll just explode <laughs> because fuck that's, that's like plausible it's stupid actually I can go as far as saying that having watched the cartoon series on multiple occasions uh, the original Sunbug most of the plots even Cold Slither is cooler than the plot of this <laughs> really really in fact the idea of using rock music to brainwash the youth to turn Cobra into an established sort of brand and then have them like overthrow the government it's a pretty fucking good idea for a cartoon okay until G.I. Joe gets instruments okay it's much better than this movie and it just makes us as G.I. Joe fans look like assholes it makes us look dumb it makes us look like we like some archaic cheesy military show it just it doesn't do much for us for our credibility as fanboys it just kind of sucks it's kind of how I imagine a lot of the Transformer fans felt until the G.I. Joe movie came out I'm sure a lot of them felt quite insulted by XYZ favorite character not being cool enough, or XYZ character being ripped in half in one shot. You know, that's how I felt. It's just one of those things. Marvel's been really great with their properties. Even guys representing Marvel may not have made some of the best films, but have really at least represented them well. I, I hate the Daredevil movie, but I still left thinking Daredevil was cool. I left the G.I. Joes. Uh, I originally had this feeling of, yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I really liked certain things. But then I kind of look around me and I look at the fact that the movie was only shown in my local cinema, which is in a mall called Northgate. It was only out there for one week, which means nobody thought it was interesting or appealing or anything. And it just makes me feel lame as a fanboy. Well, it did do enough box office 
to uh, warrant a third. But it didn't do well here, I guess is what you're trying to say. Yeah, there are no Joe fans. in South Africa is very bleak for G.I. Joe fandom. And had it been a more compelling movie, do you think it would have done better? I think a lot of people who grew up playing with G.I. Joe's in South Africa may have gotten more excited about the brand. Uh, having worked in a comic shop for as long as I did, Rob, you're going to notice this now. I'm sure you have already. Yeah. Before Iron Man came out, Previews Magazine has tons of Iron Man trade paperbacks on reprint, tons of Iron Man stuff that you can order. And you know what's happened? A lot of people come in going, have you got any Iron Man comics? Because I really like the movie. You sell a lot of Iron Man stuff. You sell it hand over fist. Every time a new movie came out, we just knew in the comic shop to order in advance. Before the Watchmen film came out, I think I'd maybe managed to sell 15 copies of the Watchmen. Just before the movie came out and after the movie, I've sold close to 150. That shows you how much impact a film can have. And the Watchmen didn't even do that well here in South Africa, but it did well enough, you know? You know, even Constantine made Hellblazer do really well. I don't think anybody has run into Anime Works, the store I used to work in, or comes into Reader's Den going, hey, do you have any G.I. Joe stuff? Because I love the film so much, I have to get more. Never. Yeah, exactly. Even now, they still get the V from Vendetta Love Masks. They're like, they still remember the film. They're like, oh, exactly. I like that film, I want the mask, I want the graphic novel. Exactly. But yeah, no Joe stuff. It's a sad thing for the film. It's like, I think John Chu had his heart in the right place. I don't think the, the screenplay was written that well. I don't think the script writing was done that well. I think had they got a more accomplished director, things like screenplay and stuff might have fallen into place. But then again, Stephen Summers is not a bad director. He's just got a hokey style. It's one of those situations. I think I think the biggest problem, if you look at all three of our critiques or criticisms, the biggest problem is the story. The screenplay is flawed. Because visually, it's not a bad film. Mm. He has some great shots, um, some great set pieces. They're cool. So from a directing point of view, he's, yeah, he's DP and him, they got a good eye for stuff, but script writing wasn't that good. And I believe that they're being sued. I just recently read, um, apparently parts of this film were already written, and that the new screenwriters who did this film had borrowed a lot from the original screenplay. So I imagine hey, God only knows why. Uh, I know why. It's because XYZ, who's paying our salary, liked it, and let's just keep the stuff that he likes, because it's just easier. It is a job at the end of the day. <laughs> you know, in G.I. Joe today... I see shining moments. I see a slew of figures put out by Sideshow, which are awesome, realistic imaginings of classic G.I. Joe and Cobra icons. And they work. They work on a one to sixth scale. Why can't they work blown up? You know, we see these little pepperings of, of our beloved franchise in perhaps the Cobra Commander mask redesign. So the look can be achieved. The plots can also be achieved. They just need to stop treating it like a kiddie's cartoon and start treating us with respect as adult lovers of this franchise. The kids won't love it any less if no. it's a sophisticated bit of filmmaking. They'll probably love it more. Kids always like stuff that's out of their age range. And I just feel like we've been kicked in the teeth by these attempts at live-action films because they are just mediocre. Just to add to what Steve's saying, just with the like Sideshow, for example, one of the main reasons I love Sideshow is, well, Sideshow is G.I. Joe's, and this one's my GI, this is my Sideshow plug. They are larger than life, but they're still very realistic. They bring all the things that make G.I. Joe great from the comic book, and you can tell that they're being made from a fan perspective because all the rides, checkpoints are ticked on, and extra stuff is given to us. Some questions are answered with some of the designs of the figures, and it's great. It's really great. And the thing is, that in itself should get people excited about a movie because a movie is now essentially taking something which is on a, a two-dimensional page, supposed to bring it into three dimensions in terms of the writing and and the action of what we're seeing on screen, and they still can't seem to get it looking real. We can't believe G.I. Joe as a screen property yet. And I think that's where Steve was going, is we, we don't get to believe it. We don't get to really accept it. We, we see it as this like hokey reimagining of something that we really love. And it's insulting to viewers of all ages. I think, I mean, we grew up with Terminator. We grew up with The Predator. We grew up with Alien, with Aliens, with Commando, with Die Hard. Uh, in fact, a good example is Die Hard. If the new movie is anything to go by, that's pretty sad. I mean, to see how far some of the kings have fallen. But we grew up with these action movies. We weren't allowed to watch them. Um, but we did. These were great. We didn't feel insulted by them. We were like, wow, we felt like much more grown up. And then like, this film feels like it's pandering to, that, to this like, young kid need. I think it's wrong. I think, I think it's insulting. I think it's, it's really insulting to, the, to, to kids. And I don't think Hasbro really understands what they're doing with that brand at the moment because you can see it in the toys as well. They're releasing the toys for an age group that's between five and, and eight years old. 
okay, mind you, teenagers are not big toy consumers, but a lot of your collectors are in your teenagers. And the thing is, like, the sort of geek love has definitely, you know, elevated in the last few years. So I'd imagine there are a lot of 13 and 14-year-olds out there who are disappointed with the toy releases. I'm sure a lot of them are buying Transformers, but those are still great. So I think Hasbro needs to just, like, wake up and, and like, you know, take control of this brand a little bit and, and just and, and have that echo through into things like the film. And Yeah, their research, I think, needs to be a little bit deeper than the 1980s cartoon. Yeah, no, definitely. We don't... One of the best things to come out of G.I. Joe um, recently, and IDW, forgive me for this, but I haven't read a lot of your new run. What I have read, I enjoy. But the greatest thing has been that G.I. Joe Cobra. It is really compelling. It's a really great read. It's not too much action. There's little bits of action. It might even be characters that you don't really know well enough. Or it's characters that just don't exist in the original continuity. They're just made-up characters. But they're great. And it's well-written. And it's got that sort of that, that right stuff, that Tom Clancy sort of feel to it, that is just excellent. Um, if I was to watch a live-action film adaptation of G.I. Joe Cobra, I would walk out of the cinema a hell of a lot more satisfied than I did watching Retaliation. Exactly. And that's a piece of advice, Robo. Go pick up G.I. Joe Cobra. They are great. And a piece of advice to anyone listening to us. Yeah. Gents, we seem to keep coming back to the point of inspiration for a live-action movie. You mentioned it with G.I. Joe Cobra. I mentioned it because of you know, trying to pull G.I. Joe live-action films away from the Saturday morning cartoon feel. Just going around the room, what do you think a G.I. Joe live-action movie should draw the bulk of its inspiration from? What is G.I. Joe to you? What medium is G.I. Joe truest, should I say? Because I was most influenced for either the comics, I mean, I watched the, the cartoons, but it seems what these guys are pulling inspiration from are the cartoons quite often, which is a bit... Uh, I really should go back to Larry Harmer, his original ideas with, with G.I. Joe, and if you look at the comics, you know, the original... There is comics, and even the comics now, I mean, those guys seem to have fitted the grasp of what Joe's about. Guys were most influenced by the comics and things. Even more style cards. Mm. This is his, his, his ideas of who each of these people are individually. And he made them seem very hardcore, very cool. Not necessarily jokey all the time. I mean, some of them had, you know, final details. Like, I don't know, like a guy who was a choir boy, and that's quite a late one, but, uh, you know, or Gary is like repaired fridges and shit like that. Silly little <laughs> things. But in general, they're quite, they're really serious, you know. Still gave them a relatable like, edge. Yeah, you know, and for like unique people. Um, but so I think the comics and the file cards would be my biggest influence on what I see as what real Joe is. File cards is a good one, actually. But G.I. Joe is essentially a really cool toy with really amazing file cards. And none of us um, here really checked out the comics before we got the toys. I mean, we kind of got the toys, we read the file cards, uh, asked our parents about words we didn't understand, and took it from there. And then the comic books started coming into our spectrum of existence. Because we knew what the toy was, and because we liked the toy, we started noticing the comics, and we picked up the comic here, or we had an older friend who had the comic book, and we checked out stuff, and that just further blew up the story for us. And I know for the three of us, none of us grew up on the cartoon. Cartoon was a, it was a bit of a later feature for a lot of us. Even in our youth, it was a later youth thing. We had the toys longer, so we had all of this imagination and all of this creativity going into our toy experiences um, based on little bits of information we got from various comics and file cards. So maybe that's actually where they should be getting the inspiration from. I actually fully agree with you there, Rob. And, and maybe they should actually look at other movies that are compelling, you know, that are, that are great action films with great stories as well. Maybe they should look around them instead of trying to, I don't know, even Battleship was a better movie than this fucking thing. Sorry. <laughs> and that's based on a board game. A boring board game. I can't help but echo what you guys say, taking it back to the basics and treating it with the respect and attention to detail and the suspension of disbelief that the original source material had. G.I. Joe was a toy that was so much more than just a toy. Those dossiers were so detailed and so realistic in, in, in appraising a real human being. It allowed you to imbue so much into your action figure. I mean, for the longest time, you got to be Hawk. That's what you were, as a kid, you were Hawk, recruiting these G.I. Joes into your toy collection. That's what your job was. So that's why you had these dossiers. And I think if a team of writers could come up with a G.I. Joe plot that, that took it as seriously as that, well, we'd have a decent point of departure. 
Instead of creating these pastiches, these larger-than-life, rather bizarre... I don't know. I mean, G.I. just was embraced the bizarre and worked it in, but worked it. You weren't having to make these enormous leaps of faith to try and believe something. Mm. It's representation in file card and then in comic book form was so respectfully handled that uh, you could invest in it. Yeah, look, I just come back to the point that I was feeling rather insulted and downtrodden by this movie. It just was bad. <laughs> and I have nothing more to add than that. So, wow, what a positive note. We call it there, boys. Hey, we're getting well, classic it- Joe soon. <laughs> Amen. And that, my friends is statements enough. When Joe goes sour, I go old school. Amen. Amen. One of my big issues they felt it was easy for them to dump 90% of the cast and the concept of the film franchise on the first film. Mm. And, and introduce these new characters without much, much fan there, like so Joe's accepted. But still they have to waste the what, like a year, uh, half a year up to a year to reshoot certain parts of the film so that they could bolster Duke of before they killed him. Jump out was completely unnecessary. I mean, the film would have worked so much better. It could just kill him. It would be easy. You know, he'd die with everyone else. You have enough of a connection to remember him. And that was just such a waste of time having all those extra scenes with just how anybody can put faith in a team that's let the Eiffel Tower be destroyed and London. Well, that's why they're yeah. the four guys. That's why they're sort of a G.I. Joe international joke. Mm. You know. <laughs> oh, they assassinated the Pakistani president. We had to exterminate them with extreme prejudice because of our, you know, with our special operations force, Cobra. I mean, there, there was some shining moments in that concept. Yes, I love that. That concept. Cobra kind of has a, a, an American endorsement that they're an elite fighting unit within the United States military regime, but it wasn't expanded upon very well. It wasn't handled very well. Everything was just paid a lip service mm. so that we could have in more scenes of Duke and Roadblock playing video games or, or target practice. You know, I, I am totally with you on that, Rob. The character of Duke was not handled very well, and these scenes were inserted so that, I suppose, stylistically, we would have some emotional response to him being killed off. Conrad Hauser. Duke, your captain. Tell me one thing you know about him. Great soldier. Better friend. He saved my life, sir. And I say killed off because it's not clear that he's been killed. Neither is it clear that Zartan is in fact dead. I was thinking about it. You know, the guy managed to heal his face after taking a knife to it. Mm. Do you think being carved up by Storm Shadow would have stopped him? He probably was playing possum, actually, (laughs) now that I think about it. But getting back to Duke, yeah, that character was just handled probably poorest of all. Mm. I mean, Duke is a kind of a love him or hate him kind of character in the first place, but never stopped being the wet behind the ears rookie, Mm. the sort of Falcon from the 1987 animated movie type character. Yeah. And not the experienced, older, first sergeant of the G.I. Joe team that his file card leads you to believe he is. Mm. I mean, he's the tough as nails first shirt of the Joe team. He's the go-to guy. He's everybody's right-hand man Mm. calling the shots, you know. His live-action movie portrayal couldn't be further from that. I could never play stock in Channing Tatum's performance. The man is way too pretty. Too soft. Actually, uh, um, I don't ever get that he's hardcore enough. I feel like he's going to bust a hip-hop move. 
any no. moment now. He's got that swagger. He talks all hood. I mean, these are not things that I associate with Duke. No, they're not. Whatever. Duke is very, like, yeah. No, they're not. Once again, IDW has had some good takes on who Duke is and what makes him tick. And they could have tapped into that. Because that's current. But anyway. But yeah, enough ranting about the movie. I think many of you out there listening to this maybe feel the same way we do. If you don't, please drop us some hate or some thoughts on our Facebook page. Uh, We'd love to hear from you, good or bad. It's always good to spark some debates and arguments. We're not the type to to get all pissy about stuff. We'll never shy away from confrontation. Yeah, uh, one of the three of us will always be geared to to deal with your discontent. Or or excitement, even. Ooh, my bids are expiring in 21 minutes. Oh, somebody's getting new toys. Maybe. Maybe. On to some positive things, just to close off this uh, episode. Eagle Hawk arrives in July, August, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Wave 3 is also very close. I think it's July as well. Wave 3, if if you guys care, is the first waves of like some of the better figures to come out from from the line so we might start seeing like the night vipers or actually not wave three wave four man sorry wave four starts coming up very soon Um, and of course they're very cool ideas in that concept case that those images that we've seen of destro of gung-ho of rock and roll they are very inspiring stuff and these are things that we'd like to talk about in our next episode definitely because there's some great stuff in there. There's a lot of rights. I know for a fact I want to talk about some of the bigger subscription service, some of my dislikes and likes for it. And also, hopefully, by the next episode, we have received our Vintage Joes. Woohoo! So we can relive that experience, that excitement. Still want a more If anybody wants to donate a more to G.I. Joe Book, please get hold of us on our Facebook page. <laughs> complete. Spotlight glass is not that important, but complete all the missiles, all the guns. I've got an eel. It's okay. And I've got a lamp right, so we all good. And I think that's a wrap. Goodbye, G.I. Joe Burgers. Goodbye, G.I. Joe Burgers. And from Hasbro, remember, keep it crappy.